Welcome to the BreastCancer.org podcast, the award-winning podcast that brings you the latest information on breast cancer research, treatments, side effects, and survivorship issues through expert interviews, as well as personal stories from people affected by breast cancer. Here's your host, BreastCancer.org Senior Editor, Jamie DiPolo. Hello. As always, thanks for listening. Our guest today is Avon Connor, Assistant Professor of Epidemiology at Johns Hopkins University. Much of Dr. Connor's research focuses on cancer health disparities in women, especially cancer risk factors that people have some control over, such as drinking alcohol, weight, exercise, and smoking. She joins us today to talk about a topic that always seems to be controversial, alcohol and breast cancer risk. Dr. Connor, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jamie, for this opportunity to discuss this important topic. So. I have read studies that show that even light drinking, which I believe is defined as less than one drink per day, increases breast cancer risk. But I really can't think of any other risk factor for breast cancer that is so controversial and seems so emotional. And it also seems like a lot of people really don't know that drinking alcohol is linked to an increase in breast cancer risk. So to start us off, could you sort of give us your opinion on why drinking alcohol is just so fraught and and so emotional? And why do you think people don't know about this link to increased breast cancer risk? Do you think they're just kind of avoiding it because they really want that glass of wine at the end of the day? Yeah, you made some great points, Jamie. And as you mentioned, some people are either unaware about the effects of alcohol and breast cancer risk, and some just might avoid this news or association altogether. So as you mentioned, drinking even small amounts of alcohol is linked with an increased risk of breast cancer in women. And this association is most likely due to changes in estrogen in the body that are caused by alcohol consumption. So avoiding or even decreasing your intake of alcohol may be an important way for many women to lower their risk of breast cancer. So I think this is a controversial topic due to the fact that we have received different research news about the effects of alcohol with other health outcomes. So more specifically, heart disease. Moderate drinking, which is one drink a day for women, appears to protect some people against heart disease. So I think this is also important to understand the perspective of women who drink alcohol regularly. So women who drink for many reasons are some of the same reasons that men drink actually, you know, to relax, to gain confidence in social situations, to celebrate, to get to sleep better at night or to relieve stress. Therefore, I think it's important that we address some of the root causes of why women are drinking in the first place to know that there are these risks associated with alcohol use and to Uh, increase the awareness of this potential risk for breast cancer with alcohol consumption. Okay, thank you. Now, do we know, I have read some conflicting study results, and I, I know it's hard because there are other things involved, but do we really know how much alcohol affects breast cancer risk? Because people have asked me this, like, okay, well, if I only have one drink a week as opposed to three drinks a week, how much is my risk going down? Like, are we there yet? Do we know that yet? That's a great question. It's very common for epidemiologists too, because this is what we study. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So there have been numerous epidemiological studies conducted to investigate this association. 
And one of their most recently published studies in the Journal of the American Medical Association, also known as JAMA, is that these researchers found that consuming as few as three to six alcoholic beverages a week may be linked to a 15% increased risk of breast cancer. So that's our latest news that we um, had in our, our epidemiological literature. Okay, and we really, I'm assuming the research hasn't been done yet. So if that was three to six drinks per week, if somebody cut that down to one, we wouldn't know, say, you know, if that's a 15% risk with increase in risk with three to six, if I only have one, does that mean my risk only goes up 5%? Like, is that even feasible to calculate? I think that is an interesting question because you have to go into the methods of how the researchers actually asked about alcohol consumption. So I'm sure it was probably drinks per day. And okay. so this quantification um, that they figured out three to six was probably the significant threshold of what they found to be significantly statistic. So knowing how much one drink impacts your risk per day might be more of a fine-tuned uh, methods that uh, the researchers did did not get to, or or actually um, maybe they want to focus in on this more uh, this category of three to six because of the sample size that they had, or uh, for other reasons in their methods. Okay. Okay. I see. So maybe in that particular study, most of the women were drinking three to six drinks per week. So that may be why they focused on that. We don't, That's we don't know. Right. Right. That's a good okay. point. Okay. Got it. Got it. So it, you touched on this a little bit um, in your first answer. You know, we were told for a long time, drinking red wine helps the heart. You know, it's it's actually good for you. And I cannot tell you how many of my friends said, oh, I'm drinking to my health. Um, it, but I feel like I've read studies sort of disproving that, that, you know, it's not really this great thing for heart health. So could you talk a little bit about that? Is my impression correct? Or has it has has other research shown that it really is beneficial? What do we know right now? Sure. So the health effects of red wine have been debated for some time now, as you mentioned. Um, studies have repeatedly shown that moderate red wine consumption seems to lower risk of several diseases, which include heart disease. And however, there is this fine line between, you know, moderate drinking and excessive intake. So, you know, having that one glass, if you change it to two or three per day, will will not give you that significant health benefit if you're just drinking that one, which is considered moderate drinking. So consuming moderate amounts of red wine has been shown to have health benefits. So the grapes that are used in the red wine, of course, are rich in antioxidants, which have many health benefits, including fighting inflammation and blood clotting, which are important with heart disease. And then you also have these polyphenols that um, amount to only a small fraction of the wine's total content, but are particularly interesting for this for the cardiologist because they have these potential biological and cardioprotective properties. So some studies have shown that drinking one to two glasses of red wine each day may lower the risk of heart disease and stroke, but having these high amounts increases the risk. So I think that's where the mixed messaging comes in. And many epidemiological investigations have supported these findings with red wine. And others have also found significant results with beer and spirits, which may suggest that it's not just red wine, it's just any type of alcohol um, might or decrease your risk of heart disease in moderation, of course. So okay. a recent study um, also by Harvard found that moderate drinking is linked to 
lower risk of death from heart disease. And they think that this could be due to the alcohol's ability to release stress in the brain. So it's all together, you know, there's mixed results, but um, of course, no one is saying that you should, or no one is recommending that you should have alcohol as a way to reduce your heart disease. So I think right. that's the main message, you know, and alcohol has other harmful properties um, for other diseases such as breast cancer and other cancers. And so just having alcohol to decrease your risk of heart disease isn't the, isn't the main focus of what we should be doing to protect our, our heart and other uh, organs. Right. And it sounds like, too, from the studies you mentioned, more alcohol is definitely not better. Exactly. <laughs> the benefits are not going up with the second glass. Yes. So that's also like what we call like a dose response. So you intuitively, we think like, oh, the more, the better. If it, it's a little bit good, then maybe a lot would be better. But that's not the case with alcohol. Okay. It's it's not the case with a lot of things, but I, I'm yes. not really sure where that adage came from. But it, you're right. It does seem to be very popular. <laughs> <laughs> so besides the flavor, which I know people talk about, like, oh, you know, pairing a really nice wine with a delicious meal, a lot of people drink alcohol because, as you said, too, it's very, it's celebratory. Like the first thing Somebody gets a promotion. Somebody has something great happen to them. What's the response? Let's go out for drinks. Let's, you know, have a glass of champagne and, and toast the accomplishment. And for somebody who's been diagnosed with breast cancer or really any cancer, I think, you know, they may feel kind of judged or blamed if they go out for a drink with friends, um, or they may feel like blamed for drinks they had before they were diagnosed, you know, and they weren't, you know, breast cancer wasn't even on their radar. So do you have any advice for, for those folks from your, you know, from your view as an epidemiologist, like part of me thinks like you, you can only control so much and, you know, whether you had that glass of wine with your friend five years ago, you know, is it, are we really looking at a cause and effect relationship there? Yes, and that's a great point. Um, I would tell them that we are all human and not to feel judged or blamed. And there are many modifiable lifestyle factors that are associated with breast cancer or for any, with any cancer for that matter. Um, you know, we, we talk about things that are modifiable, which could be obesity, if you're physically active or not, um, other lifestyle choices uh, with diet. So no one can pinpoint which specific factor contributed the most to whatever risk that you had for having that disease. So my suggestion is to do what you feel is best for you and enjoy yourself in those social situations, but of course with moderation. Okay, moderation is key always, right? Yes. Okay, and and I'm curious too, as you were, were talking there, you know, there are a few modifiable risks. Mm -hmm. And if, I guess what I'm wondering, and this may be a very hard question to answer, so I apologize in advance. You know, we, we know that, that drinking increases risk, drinking alcohol increases risk. And we know that being overweight increases breast cancer risk. And we know that not exercising increases breast cancer risk. Has any study sort of ranked those? So say if somebody is, you know, maintains a really good weight for their you know, uh, a body size mm -hmm. for their height and they exercise regularly, is it maybe possible that having one drink of 
one drink a week, easy for me to say, would have less an effect on that person than somebody else who maybe is overweight and doesn't exercise? I mean, can you, Yeah. can they offset each other like that? I really don't know. They actually can. So it's kind of like, um, you know, the benefits and harms approach and like equaling out, canceling out the harms with the benefits. So yes, I totally agree. So if you think about the ways to something that we're all kind of probably dealing with during the pandemic, trying to lose your pandemic pounds. Um, if you're cutting down on uh, your diet, but say you have a bad day and decide that, you know, you want to have that burger. If you go exercise that day, it does bring down some of that, you know, effects of eating whatever that was that you feel like was high calorie. So same effects with cancer risk, in my opinion. And, and we do have um, data showing the percentage of, of um, risk that each of these modifiable factors contribute to what we know about cancer. So it could be, so what we said for women who are, it's usually postmenopausal women are at higher risk if they're obese. So if you are losing weight um, and physically active and you are maintaining um, a good diet, then it could be that even though you're obese, your inflammation levels aren't as high because you're exercising. So that reduces your risk. Your insulin levels aren't as high. So that's kind of bringing down that risk uh, pattern for you to have breast cancer. So there is a trade-off of you know, healthy alternatives um, to say to complement things that you might feel aren't as healthy. So if you're having wine, yes, be physically active, take those walks. Um, you know, maybe you should modify your diet some then eat less red meat or eat less high, high calorie foods. So I think that it all does add up if that's, you know, what you were trying to get to with thinking mm -hmm. about how to reduce your risk and how to kind of modify certain lifestyle choices to adapt to things that, yeah, I want to splurge this week and have know, a glass of wine when I go out with my friends to celebrate someone's promotion, sure. So maybe I'm not going to, you know, I'll eat a salad instead of ordering my steak. <laughs> so okay. all these things add up over time, for sure. Okay, yeah, great. That makes sense. That makes sense. And I kind of want to stick on the um, drinking socially topic, yes. um, especially, you know, this past pandemic year has been really tough for a lot of people. And you know, I've read studies showing drinking is up over the year because people were just sitting at home with nothing to do besides feel scared, anxious, depressed, all those kinds of things. So I, I kind of have two questions for you. One was, it, you know, drinking in general was up, but also binge drinking in particular went up and especially binge drinking by women, it seemed, went up during the pandemic. And so if you could help us understand why binge drinking is worse. Um, I have some ideas, but I'd rather hear it from the expert. And also, so if someone say they binge drink over the weekend because they're not working, but then they don't drink at all for two or three weeks, is there, is there that same sort of like leveling out effect or is it, or is binge drinking just bad all the time? Yeah, I think this um, topic of pandemic drinking is very relevant, of course, as we're still technically still in the pandemic and some people are still not working or still finding jobs and um, still dealing with uh, pandemic stress. But even before the pandemic, we've noticed a, a higher consumption of alcohol among women than previous years. And, um, and the pandemic has just kind of compounded on that situation. 
So we have social media sites of, you know, they have memes of moms drinking to relieve their stress and alcohol is now easier to obtain through delivery sites and apps. And so it's not surprising that we're seeing this disproportionate effect on um, of the pandemic on women's alcohol use. So as you said, um, binge drinking. So the rates of alcohol use to heavy drinking, which is having four or more drinks on one occasion and um, other related drinking disorders in women are are on the rise during the pandemic. And so we consider binge drinking. If you're having four or more drinks for women in about two hours, actually, that's like a super hard binge drinking. Um, that's actually worse because it can cause irregular heart rhythms and arrhythmias. So it does have this, you know, cardio effect that you don't have if you were just drinking a couple of glasses of wine during the week that would add up to say four glasses of wine over four days versus having four glasses of wine within a two hour span. So even if you do not have any alcohol during the week, you should not save all of your drinking for the weekend and overdo it. <laughs> Got it. Okay. That's that's very good to know. And um, I, I guess the second question about pandemic drinking, as things are opening up, you know, restaurants are, you can now dine inside, there's outside dining, people are starting to go to movies and concerts. Um, you know, people are really excited to start doing things with their friends and that they haven't been able to do for more than a year. And obviously one of those things is go out to a bar, go out to dinner. Do you think that this sort of excitement is going to keep drinking levels high because people are, are so excited to get out and do these things again? Because I guess I was wondering like, okay, as the pandemic sort of eases a bit, maybe, you know, drinking is going to go down because people feel like life's returning a little bit more to normal. Um, wh what do you see from, from your epidemiologist chair? I, I agree with you. I think a lot of um, the people who have been changing their drinking habits due to the pandemic because of stress, anxiety, isolation, for whatever reasons, um, I think once things go back to normal for their lives, meaning you know, getting out of the house more, seeing your friends, going back to work, that sense of that regular routine and not having, you know, sometimes nights of boredom and just at home alone. I think that um, a lot of these risky drinking behaviors will will eventually decrease and that um, people will be back in their routines and social routines and, and will feel safer and um, I guess more at uh, less less stress levels, basically, with having some sense of normalcy again. Okay. Okay. Now, I have seen this question several times on our breastcancer.org discussion boards with people asking, is it okay to drink alcohol during treatment? And I believe they were specifically talking about chemotherapy. Um, you know, obviously some women, if they've been diagnosed with, or women and men, if they've been diagnosed with hormone receptor positive breast cancer, they may be taking anti-estrogen therapy for five to 10 years after, you know, the main treatment is over. So I, I'm not thinking that so much, but I guess I'm wondering like about chemotherapy or immunotherapy. Do we have any research on that? Like, I, I just assume it's not a good idea, but I don't know. There are um, medications that don't mix well with alcohol that we know of. So that's a good point to mention if we're thinking about hormone therapy and other oral medications that could be chemo related um, that you should speak with your doctor about. And just in general, though, alcohol can cause you to have some um, diminishing effects on your immune system, which aren't long lasting, but they make the body more susceptible to infection. So if you're drinking alcohol regularly, 
you might find that you might have more colds than people who don't drink alcohol, or you might feel that you uh, catch viruses more easily um, when you're drinking on a regular basis compared to your friends who aren't drinking as much as you. So my suggestion is to talk to your doctor if you'd like to have a drink while you're still having treatment. And if you're not sure about, you know, drinking is a good, you know, a remedy for, you know, just relaxing or, um, you know, if it's just having your wine at the end of the day, uh, I would definitely consult with a doctor about that if you're, if you're under active treatment. And something also to consider is um, alcohol, there are studies that have shown that alcohol increases your risk of recurrence. So mm-hmm. you should also consider that and, and think about drinking with, in moderation, even after you complete your treatment, how often you want to keep drinking um, once you've finished your treatment and what your, I guess, your quality of life um, trajectory might be if you're still drinking and, and, um, and want to reduce your risk of recurrence as well. Okay, thank you. And that that's very interesting about alcohol sort of suppressing the immune mm-hmm. system because I know so many of the chemotherapy drugs do that as well. Exactly. So that could be, yeah, that could be kind of a double whammy there. Right. Okay, good to know. Thank you. Um, so finally, uh, if somebody wants to cut back or even quit drinking alcohol altogether, do you have any advice for them? Like, are there steps they could take? And I guess I'm also wondering from your viewpoint as well, are there kind of some signs that maybe if somebody's thinking like, oh, you know, I don't know, maybe I need some help. Maybe I need some professional help. Maybe, you know, my drinking got a little bit out of hand during the pandemic. So that's kind of a two-part question. Like, what would you recommend if somebody wants to cut back? And then how does somebody know if they really need professional help to do it? Yeah. You know, as I mentioned, we all consume alcohol for different reasons. And if you're wanting to relax or relieve stress, I would suggest finding other ways, such as yoga or meditation. Um, I highly recommend walking daily. You know, walking helps you relax and increases your body's levels of those feel-good endorphins, which in turn can lower your stress and anxiety. And as a bonus, you get the other health benefits from walking, such as, you know, your heart health, by decreasing heart disease risk factors, such as high blood pressure and high cholesterol. And also the American Cancer Society has found that seven hours per week may reduce your odds of developing breast cancer after menopause by up to 14%. And you also might lose weight. So if back to your other question about um, how to identify if you might have a problem. So if you are exceeding moderate drinking levels, which is one drink a day for women, um, you should probably discuss this issue with your doctor and they will be able to recommend next steps for addressing concerns. So more importantly, if the effects of alcohol are causing problems for you and others, then you might have an alcohol problem. So the risk of developing alcohol problem is actually greater for people who have a family history of alcoholism. That's something to keep in mind. And there are several warning signs of alcohol problems, such as missing work or school because of drinking, driving while impaired after having alcohol, having a strong urge to drink, needing more alcohol than you previously needed before to get that pleasurable response, finding that people who care about you are concerned about your drinking, and then also having more than seven drinks per week. So if you think that you have an alcohol problem, there are ways to get help, and there are resources such as Alcohol Anonymous, or you can talk to your doctor if you're concerned that you may have an alcohol problem. Okay. Dr. Connor, thank you so much. This has been really helpful and insightful. And 
I think the topic is probably still going to be controversial, but you have shared so much good information with us. Um, I know people are going to be better informed. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me today. Thank you for listening to the breastcancer.org podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. To share your thoughts about this or any episode, email us at podcast at breastcancer.org or leave feedback on the podcast episode landing page on our website. And remember, you can find a lot more information about breast cancer at breastcancer.org. And you can connect with thousands of people affected by breast cancer by joining our online community.